following, uh, if you're taking notes on the uh, handout there, I have flipped things, so I'm, I'm starting with what you've got as point two and, uh, and then doing point one, uh, but other than that, uh, it should be easy to follow, sorry. Um, okay, so um, others have preached up to this point in Mark, and it's been uh, great to meet Jesus uh, as we've uh, come through the first uh, five and a half or, or sorry, four and a half uh, chapters. And uh, today, and that is what it's all about. Uh, you know, Mark's Gospel, King's Cross, in the first half, uh, we're meeting Jesus. We're being introduced to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. We heard him announced uh, in the first week. Uh, Jesus as the leader, uh, as he invited people to follow him, we saw in the second week. Uh, Jesus uh, who had enemies, as we saw in the controversy of the third week. Jesus the teacher, or as Dean uh, sort of suggested, Jesus the confounder, uh, as we saw that cluster of parables uh, and learned to lean in to what Jesus has to say, to listen carefully to what Jesus has to say. But we're not only to listen, we're also to watch closely, to look carefully uh, and that's what we're being asked to do today as we encounter Jesus the master, Jesus the miracle worker. Uh, so let's pray and ask that God would help us to have the eyes uh, to see Jesus clearly. Heavenly Father uh, we thank you for the presentation of Jesus that we have before us in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, many of us are familiar with these stories, um, but please don't allow our familiarity to cloud what is here to be seen uh, of Jesus. Uh, we want to see him as clearly as possible so that we know you as well as possible, uh, as you intend us to, as you desire us to, to know you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through faith in him. So we pray that you would help us with that now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a question that I uh, kicked off our growth group with this week and I'm going to put to you now, what are you afraid of? I know what some of you are afraid of because some of you have shared those things with me, but uh, we all have fears, don't we? Maybe you think it's a bit rude of me though to ask what are you afraid of without first sharing what I'm afraid of. So here we go, here's a few things that I'm afraid of. Uh, now some of my fears are fairly obvious, you know, I'm, I'm kind of aware of them, I've had experiences, they are, that, that tell me that I'm afraid of those things. I'm afraid of getting stuck in tight places. I'm not generally claustrophobic, uh, but... In a tight space, especially if it's dark, uh, I'm very fearful. Uh, we, when we were in uh, Vietnam a few years ago, we went to the Coochie Tunnels outside of uh, Ho Chi Minh City, remnants of uh, the Vietnam War. And uh, some of those tunnels you can kind of walk through in a crouch. Some of them you can crawl through on hands and knees, but others you have to squeeze through on your belly. And every time we came to an intersection, I was very careful to work out which one uh, which ones would lead in that direction and avoid them at all costs. I am fearful, afraid of that kind of situation, of getting stuck in tight spaces. Uh, I'm afraid of more important things than that, though. I'm afraid of my kids turning away from Jesus. I think that's perhaps my greatest fear in life. Uh, I'm actually afraid, and this might surprise you, I'm actually afraid of doing what I'm doing right now. 
if I listen carefully or you know, pay attention to my body, the slightly increased heart rate, the uh, overworking of my sweat glands uh, and other physical signs, they suggest that I'm actually at least at some level fearful uh, still of standing up and preaching. I don't think I'm afraid of preaching. I think I'm afraid of preaching badly. <laughs> and there's always a risk of that. Uh, there's some of the, the fears that I'm kind of generally quite aware of, but then there are others that are less obvious and yet perhaps even more real in the sense of how much they influence my life. See, there are the fears that are conscious fears, but then there are the fears that are working at a deeper level. They're the subconscious fears. Uh, here's a big one. You might have heard of FOMO. It's kind of been a acronym floating around the last few years. It's fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. You know, I think so often the fear of missing out on something good will influence how I behave. It might even make me uh, or you know, influence me to be manipulative, uh, to not do things that I ought to do for others because I'm afraid of missing out myself. I think often that's actually in the mix, in the background. Fear of forgetting something important. I think, again, that's a subconscious fear that's often sort of lurking in the background. What about you? What are your fears? You've got conscious fears, you've got subconscious fears. Perhaps you're afraid of upsetting your children or your spouse. Perhaps you're afraid of failing in some way, perhaps failing at work. Perhaps you're afraid of getting sick or getting old or even dying young although that fear might have passed you by. Uh, perhaps you're... That was a joke. Uh, perhaps you're afraid of getting fat. Perhaps you're afraid of losing your looks. Perhaps you're afraid of losing your strength or of falling over, of not living up to other people's expectations. Uh, you might be afraid of parking in crowded spaces, uh, afraid of not fitting in, afraid of being found out, afraid of being in debt, being lonely, running out of time, making the wrong decision. You might be afraid of commitment. You might be afraid of not getting enough. You might be afraid of not getting ahead. You might be afraid of not keeping up, not keeping up with the Joneses, not keeping up with the technology, not keeping up with current affairs, not keeping up with the latest whatever. Perhaps you're afraid of the dark or of heights or of climate change or of things that creep or slither or jump. Perhaps you're, afraid, perhaps you're afraid of having a heart attack in the middle of church. <laughs> now, you might be expecting me to say, aren't we silly to be afraid of all these things? And there are certainly some who sort of point in that direction, who suggest that, you know, really our fears are quite irrational. Uh, there's an acronym, actually, F-E-A-R, um, I forgot what it is. Um, false, false evidence appearing real. It's not, it's not real, it just seems real. Or, or there's a slight you know, different version of that, false emotions appearing real. But I don't think that, at least in essence, our fears are usually unreasonable. 
Yes, sometimes our fears may be exaggerated, but I think they all come from very real situations, very real dangers. The world is, sorry to say, a dangerous place. Things go wrong all the time. We're not even remotely in control, are we? All day, every day, we are surrounded by uncertainty, by risk, and the potential, in fact, even the likelihood that things are going to go wrong. And all of that is then fed to us by the media, isn't it? Right? Because the media has to not only tell the story these days, it has to sell the story. And how does it sell the story? It amps it up. Right? And if you scroll through, if you, if you get your media on some sort of digital source and you scroll through that source, I guarantee that at least, at the very least, half of the stories that you scroll through, you look at those head headlines and they are designed to instill fear, to provoke fear. And that's why you read them, because what do I need to be worried about? What do I need to sort of ward against? What guard against? Right? Uh, the media is cultivating a climate of fear by focusing on the bad news and catastrophizing it. And that's leading to an explosion of anxiety in our world, of depression, and all sorts of responses to fear. But fear isn't new, is it? Fear isn't a new phenomenon. Though our fears, though our fears might take a certain shape today, the world has always been full of fears because it's always been full of reasons to fear. The Bible's claim that the world is fallen, off kilter, under a curse, has been proven true in the experience of every person who has ever drawn breath. Is there any remedy? Is there any remedy for our fears? Now last week, as I mentioned, we uh, saw that Mark arranged uh, his material together in a cluster of parables, a cluster of teaching. Uh, here in this passage, we get another cluster there's a lot here. Uh, it's not just the two miracles uh, that we had read for us by Merv, but there are also uh, the two preceding miracles. And Mark gathers all these things together. And I think he does that for a reason. We're meant to look at them all together and to see what it is that they have in common. Now, the two miracles before are where Jesus uh, is with his disciples in the boat and the storm flares up and they go to him and say, don't you care if we drown? And he wakes up from his slumber in the front of the boat and he stands up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, be calm, be still. And they obey. Uh, the next one is where he casts out a legion of demons from the man who's been living in the tombs uh, and then the people from nearby come and they see what's happened uh, and they respond to Jesus, the master, uh, the master of that spiritual realm. Uh, but I think, as I said, we're meant to look at all these miracles together and see what is it that we're meant to learn about Jesus uh, what is it that these parables, uh, these miracles, sorry, actually have in common? And there is a common feature, and that is that in every case, in every one of these uh, miracles, and you may have noticed this if you studied this in your growth group or even on your own during the week, uh, in every case, people are in a situation that causes them to be afraid. And that language of fear is used in every single case. 
If we'd read the whole passage, you you would have noticed in that storm scene on the boat, uh, we read in chapter 4, verse 38, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, as they say to him, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus names what's going on for them. He says, why are you so afraid? And then when they cross over to the other side of the lake and they're in the tombs and confronted uh, by the man possessed by demons, he's healed. And then the people come out from the town and they see the man sitting there healed, dressed and in his right mind. And they saw and they were afraid. Then in the uh, two miracles that we had read for us, there's the one where uh, the woman has been bleeding for 12 years. What a a terrible circumstance for her, not just physically but also socially because it would have meant she was an outcast, not allowed to associate within the culture of the time. She was considered an unclean person because of that uh, sickness which she wouldn't have been able to hide. Uh, She also is described as she comes before Jesus in verse 33 of chapter 5, trembling with fear, she appears before him, trembling with fear, and she told him the whole truth. Uh, And then when uh, the messenger comes from Jairus' house and says, gives the bad news, your daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore, Jesus turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. You, you see it, it's, it's clear, isn't it? It's obvious. All these people are facing circumstances that are causing them to fear and fair enough. Fair enough. They are fearful people, just as we are. But Jesus doesn't want them to stay in their fear. In fact, he offers them a way out from their fear. He shows them and he shows us through their encounters that he has power over the cause of their fears. He has power over the cause of their fears. In fact, not just the instance that they are experiencing, but the whole realm within which their fear is located. So, uh, for in the first instance with the storm, Jesus shows that he has power over the natural realm. I think of all these miracles, this is the one that amazes me the most. The power of nature, no one can stop it. No one has any real influence over it, but Jesus does, and with a word. It's, it's as if creation knows the voice of its master. In fact, that's exactly what is happening. Its maker and master bows. The waves bow. The wind bows at the voice of Jesus. Jesus has power over the natural realm. And this is just one little instance, one little display of that power. In the next scene, we see that he has power not only over the natural realm, but over the supernatural realm. This man is possessed by not just one demon, but by a host of demons, 2,000. Our name is Legion, for we are many. 2,000 demons, and yet they submit. To Jesus. They bow. They have to ask permission. Do you notice that? (laughs) They ask permission. Can we do this? Can we do that? Please, don't do this. Please. They're so polite. (laughs) So polite, these unclean spirits, because they also recognize the Lord over their realm. Over the natural realm, over the supernatural realm, 
over sickness. This woman, she spent all she had on doctors. You might know what that's like. (laughs) Specialists of this kind and that kind, second opinions, third opinions. Asking, looking for cures, for healing. That's her situation. Twelve years, not only of bleeding, but of the consequences that's produced for her. But Jesus has power for her in her situation and power over the realm within which she suffers. Power over her sickness. He doesn't even have to be intentional about healing her. Do you notice that? She comes along and she just touches the hem of his cloak and that's enough. The power is there and she's healed. And as if that weren't impressive, as if all that weren't impressive enough, what is our greatest need? What is, what is the thing that should, perhaps doesn't, but actually should cause us the greatest fear? Death and all that that entails. And that's what's actually happening in the story of Jairus' daughter, isn't it? She starts off sick, but her sickness leads to death as it often does. But Jesus even has power over that realm. Jesus has the power of life and death. He has the power to raise the dead, and so he does. But Jesus isn't just rescuing all these people from their circumstances or from their fears. He is inviting them into a relationship with him. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, he's not calling Jairus to agree to a doctrinal statement. He is saying, trust me. Put your trust in me. I can overcome. I have the power to overcome. I've got this. Put your trust in me. But power is not enough on its own to warrant trust, is it? See, power can be used to heal, sure, but it can also be used to hurt. Power can be used to serve others, but it can also be used to serve yourself and your own interests. Which is why it is so good that Jesus' power is not all that's on display here. As he heals the woman of her bleeding and raises Jairus' daughter from the death, his compassion shines through. To look at just one example, watch the way he deals with this woman. We've heard about her need, not just the bleeding, but the social need. She's healed of her bleeding before Jesus is even aware of her presence. But then... He won't leave it at that, will he? Now, the way Merv read it (laughs) made it sound like she was in trouble, right? Well, someone was in trouble. But I actually think that Jesus just wanted to meet the person who he had healed. And he wanted to bless her in an even greater way than she had already been blessed. Because no one else would necessarily know that she had been cleansed, that she had been cleaned, that she had been made whole. And so Jesus does something for her that helps her be restored, not only in her body, but also in her relationships. He calls her out in front of everybody. She's fearful, right? But she tells her whole story. She trusts Jesus with her whole story. The one who she knows has healed her body, he trusts her with her whole story. And he says to her, daughter, isn't that beautiful? She's not in trouble, not at all. He loves her. 
and he knows what she needs. He meets her in her need and he rescues her from her need. He heals her. He takes away all her reasons to fear and everybody gets to hear. Everybody gets to see. A public declaration, so tender. So yes, Jesus has power. He has the power to deal with your fears, but there is another reason to trust him, and that is that he loves you. He has power and he loves you. But not everyone accepts the invitation and makes the journey from fear to faith. Not even in the uh, passage we've just read. Some reject Jesus and so they remain ruled by fear. And notice this. There are those who are released by fear, uh, from fear because they put their trust in Jesus, but there are those who don't put their trust in Jesus and they remain in their fear. To begin with, there are the disciples. They actually move from fear, but they move to terror. So it's kind of progress. Uh, it is actually progress because their fear goes from the storm to Jesus and that's fair enough. They're terrified and they say, who, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? But they're not there yet, are they? Uh, they're not there yet in terms of trusting Jesus and entrusting themselves to Jesus. They'll get there, but it's a wild journey. Now, their reaction is actually similar, not the same, but similar to that of the Gerasenes, the ones who live in the area where the, the demon-possessed man is healed. They move from fear of the demon-possessed man, the man who they tried to sedate, to restrain, to tie up, to chain, and yet couldn't. They're afraid of him, but they move then to fear of Jesus, who not only dispossessed the man of his demons, but also dispossessed them of their pigs. <laughs> and so maybe they no longer feared for their lives, now they fear for their livelihoods. They don't put their trust in Jesus. They reject him. They ask him to move on. But perhaps the most interesting reaction of all is that of the people of Nazareth. We didn't read this either, but it's, it's immediately after all these miracles. There's an occasion where Jesus goes home. He goes home where everybody knows him. Everybody knows him, everybody knows his family. He's got a big family, it turns out. Uh, and they've heard about Jesus' miracles, but they, it just doesn't add up. How could the boy we know, sure he was a good kid, but uh, how could all this be true of him? No. No, no, we, we know Jesus and, and this, this picture just doesn't fit. It can't be right. It doesn't add up. And so even those who know him best, you would think, choose not to put their trust in him, choose not to believe. There's a saying, you probably know it, familiarity breeds contempt and it is a danger. It's a danger for the people of Nazareth. I think it's actually a danger for us as well. Jesus' power never gets diminished, but our appreciation of his power can if we become too familiar with it. And we need to be careful that that doesn't happen to us. Perhaps uh, the lack of fear of the people of Nazareth is the most perilous predicament of all because how can they be saved if they don't even recognize their need? They're actually the only people who aren't described in this section as being afraid. If our fears lead us to trust in Jesus, then that's actually a good thing. So what about you? 
We all have fears. There are the big fears that make us break out in a cold sweat. And then there are also the background fears that we may not even notice and yet they have great power in shaping our behavior every day. I'd encourage you to work on thinking hard about what's driving you, what's motivating you and the role that fear is playing. I'd encourage you to do that so that you can then think, how does Jesus, how does my trust in Jesus, how does trusting Jesus help me when I'm afraid? Help me to not be afraid. Help me instead, rather than being motivated by my fears and driven, pushed by my fears, to be driven rather by Jesus' love for me, my confidence in him, my love for him, my desire to obey him and love others. Because fear has the power to do that. If, do you know the verse, perfect love casts out all fear. The perfect love of Christ casts out all fear. Remember that Jesus not only has power, but that he loves you. So put your trust in him and allow that trust to cast out your fears. But remember also that Jesus' miracles, all Jesus' miracles, point forward, that is, they're the curtain raiser to his greatest miracles that deal with, or at least ought to deal with, our greatest fears. See, in the cross, in the cross, God displays his love for us most perfectly, doesn't he? God's love is on display in the cross of Christ. And also, in the cross of Christ, God is dealing with our sin and all its consequences. He is dealing with our sin and our guilt and our shame. And he is offering us forgiveness. He is dealing with our fear of being judged. A reasonable fear for all of us and yet dealt with on the cross and in the empty tomb, God is overcoming death, not just for Christ himself, but for all those who put their trust in Christ. You ought to fear death, at least you ought to if your faith is not in Christ. But if your faith is in Christ, that the reason for your fear has been dealt with. But that's not all. Jesus' death doesn't only deal with our fears in the here and now, but also eternally. One day we will be fully free from fear, and that is when Jesus returns to claim his throne. We were singing about it earlier in that song, I Cannot Tell. When he returns to claim his earthly heritage. But it will be done. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The power and the love that we glimpse in today's passage will one day be on full display and fear will be eradicated because everything that causes fear will be eliminated. That's what's promised. It's not wishful thinking, it's been promised. Jesus' miracles are a promise. They are a hint. They are a temporary display of what will one day be permanent for those who trust in Jesus. They are the future breaking into the here and now and they are revelation. They reveal that... Jesus is the master of the universe and all things will one day be placed under his feet. And he invites you to trust him. He invites you to turn from your fears 
and to trust him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the Lord of every realm and of every circumstance, the one who offers to be Lord of our hearts so that fear might no longer rule us. Father, some of us may be blasé about our fears, and yet that's only ignorance. So please strip us of our ignorance and help us understand that fears are real and even reasonable, and yet help us to see even more clearly that Jesus has come to deal with all the things that cause our fears, that he did it for others, that he can do it for us. And even when he doesn't fix our circumstances, he is with us in them. And so we know that putting our trust in him is our best option, that he has prevailed and overcome, and that with him we will too. So I pray for each one of us today. You know our fears, you know our hearts. Help us to know them well that we might bring them to Christ and trust him and be set free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.